my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. One of my favorite conversations I've ever had on There Are No Girls on the Internet is with a writer who was targeted and harassed online about how she continues to stay safe while doing visible work on the internet. Without missing a beat, she said, anybody worried about online harassment should sign up for Delete Me. I signed up for Delete Me right then and there, and I personally recommend it to anyone. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls, code nogirls. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and you can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discovery.com slash credit card. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. There Are No Girls on the Internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. As a podcaster who makes a podcast about misinformation, conspiracy theories, extremism, and how they impact marginalized people, I feel like it's time to weigh in on Joe Rogan. So in case you don't know, Joe Rogan's podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, has a nasty habit of platforming misinformation and bigotry. Rogan and his guests have amplified lies about trans folks, women, climate change, the list goes on. But right now, his misleading and incorrect statements about COVID are what's got him in the spotlight. Rogan brought on serial misinformer Robert Malone, who was already suspended from Twitter for spreading inaccurate information about COVID, to promote the, quote, defeat the mandate rally in Washington, D.C. last month. Rogan discouraged young people from getting vaccinated, which is especially troubling given the average age of his listenership is 24 years old. And according to data from Washington State, unvaccinated 12 to 34-year-olds are five times more likely to be hospitalized with COVID than those who are fully vaccinated. 
Now, hundreds of doctors and public health professionals have published an open letter to Spotify, who exclusively publishes Joe Rogan's podcast, calling the streaming company out for the way the podcast they produce has spread COVID misinformation and asking Spotify to establish a clear and public policy to moderate misinformation on its platform. India RE, Roxanne Gay, Joni Mitchell, and others have joined Neil Young in taking their content off Spotify. In response, Spotify released a pretty weak clarification of their misinformation moderation policy, which doesn't really do much to address the kind of misinformation that Rogan spreads on his podcast. In a statement, Spotify CEO said, It is important to me that we don't take on the position of being a content censor while also making sure that there are rules in place and consequences for those who violate them. Now, in that statement, Spotify makes it sound like Rogan is just another podcaster on their platform, but he's not. Spotify exclusively produces Rogan's show and pays him a reported $100 million a year to do so. So what happens when someone is paid $100 million to spread conspiracy theories, misinformation, bigotry, and lies? My name is Abby Richards, and I'm a misinformation researcher slash TikToker. Abby Richards is a disinformation researcher, science communicator, and friend of the show. And she says that Spotify's misinformation policy leaves a lot to be desired. So, Abby, I'm so glad that you were able to join me today. Um, I have gone kind of a while without talking about Joe Rogan, and I think it's time to talk about Joe Rogan. It's time. (laughs) It's time. Well, first of all, just as someone who is a misinformation researcher, what are your thoughts on his show, what he does? Like, what are your initial thoughts? You know, I don't love it. (laughs) I'm not like a, I'm not a JRE bro. I have just witnessed like way too much misinformation and general kind of bigotry and hatred on that platform to then go ahead and be like, oh, I just love how he interviews people. So personally, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not a huge fan. Are you? No, it's so funny. A few months ago before this um Spotify uh, issue was really in the news. I was at a hotel bar with my producer, Mike, and we were, I don't remember where we were coming back from, but we were getting a drink and there was this very obnoxious guy at the bar, like drunk, loud, obnoxious. And he was trying to really engage us in conversation and we were sort of not having it. And I think for some reason we were talking about Burning Man, Mike and I, and this guy was like, oh, hey, I have a buddy who goes to Burning Man with, with Joe Rogan every year. And we looked at each other and Mike just went, gross, why would you tell us this? <laughs> so Ew. he clearly had, had no idea that we also have a podcast, basically, which I feel like is a little bit of like an anti-Joe Rogan, like a podcast where we talk about the dangers of things like misinformation, conspiracy theories, extremism. Like he could not have picked a worse, a worse way to try to impress us. Oh, yeah. I mean, your podcast is literally there are no girls on the Internet. And Joe Rogan is literally we have no girls on this show. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, what did you think about seeing all of these high profile folks from Neil Young, India Ari, um, now Roxanne Gate, removing their content from Spotify in reaction to their, you know, really unwillingness to do anything about the misinformation that he spread so often? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's great. I think it's been surprisingly powerful. I wasn't necessarily expecting it to have as big of like a ripple in the in the water as it did. What were your thoughts on their, I'm not even going to say that they renewed, like, it just seemed like they were saying like, oh, we do have a COVID misinformation policy, but it wasn't for me 
I didn't really feel like it was the kind of policy that you would expect a, a platform of that size to be putting out, you know, in now the what second year of a pandemic. Yeah, you would expect it to be a, a little bit more coherent and thought through. And, and the fact that it took all of this pressure to get the tiniest bit of transparency into the existing policy that they had is, uh, it's, it says quite a bit about how reluctant these platforms are to be transparent about their policies. Uh, and then, so really what they did is they published their existing policies, which I'm going to also say, like, weren't, they were quite lenient um, to the point where it, it seems as though you're able to say that, like, the vaccines cause death, but just as long as you don't say that they were designed to do so. And, you know, they don't really cover wearing masks and uh, they don't cover a large, large range of medical misinformation that Joe Rogan has spread on his show. Great to see the transparency, but I would like to see more coherent and thought out policies. And then in addition to that, they just like said they were going to put content warnings on misinformation, which isn't really shown to be effective. Like I don't consider that uh, a, a solid strategy to combat misinformation, especially not when you're literally funding that misinformation yourself. Again, it seems to illustrate to me that Spotify is kind of hoping that folks won't ask too many questions about their the, the nature of the relationship they have with Joe Rogan, because I feel like it's one thing to put content, it's one thing for Twitter to put a content warning on a user's tweet, right? To say like, oh, well, just so you know, this tweet contains inaccurate information. It's another thing for Spotify to invite Joe Rogan to exclusively make content with them, pay him handsomely for that content, be the only place where you can find that content, and then kind of pretend like, oh, we can just put a content warning on it. That's the that's the as far as we can go in terms of dealing with it. Like that seems like the bare minimum to the point where it's almost meaningless. It's almost nothing. And and you know, I do think that they're kind of hoping that people won't ask too many questions so that they can continue to treat Joe Rogan like any other individual content creator that they have on their platform, as opposed to what they actually are, which is like his publisher, I think. Yeah. Did you see the the leaked speech um, published just a few hours ago where the CEO went into a whole spiel about whether or not they are a publisher or a platform? And it's like, I mean... Even as a, if you were just a platform, you still should have some responsibility for what is on your platform. Uh, but you also are specifically funding, like sponsoring this particular content on your platform. So you might not have editorial control, but you still have some liability there. I think that the statement they released was very much like an attempt to make the problem go away, just really hoping that this inaction looked enough like action that everybody would wave their hands and be like, eh, that's fine, I guess. I have seen a lot of toothless tech doublespeak in my day that really means nothing. That was really, that was like the Mona Lisa of toothless tech, meaningless doublespeak PR, right? Like, let's say a bunch of things. Let's let's like sort of say like we're listening, we hear you. Definitely make a nod to free speech. Say like make a nod to the fact that you're not gonna cave to other people's voices. 
it really hit all the marks. And I, I do, I agree with you. I think that they're kind of hoping that this problem will sort of go away on its own or that like Joe Rogan put out that video statement. They put out a statement. I think that they're hoping that that's going to be enough. Um, you know, The Rock has chimed in and said like, perfectly put, like, let's have some people <laughs> on your show soon, Joe Rogan. Um, and, and I think it's just, I, I think for me, it's really depressing because I believe that Spotify is is reestablishing a precedent. And that precedent is that if you are like, there is a market for lies. Like if you tell lies and spread misinformation and extremism, there is a market for that. And so I think the the, the question we need to ask ourselves is like, are we comfortable with our media, our media landscape really handsomely rewarding and amplifying lies for profit. And I think it's it's done so much to make our, our media so much more toxic. Absolutely. And you think about how Joe Rogan really promotes controversial figures. And of course, he claims he doesn't intend to do that. But like controversy brings in eyes and ears. And like, it's quite clear that Rogan has a history of platforming people who promote misinformation, promote bigotry, climate change denial, a lot of transphobia, like so much transphobia. Uh, it's and, and it's not just like allowed, it's being paid for like for exclusivity like Spotify was like we want this and we want you to be special so that you attract more users to our platform like they he serves a role there to bring more users to them and and make money for them and they are fundamentally profiting off of that kind of controversy and I'm very frustrated <laughs> it is frustrating and and you know you, you brought, brought up a good point obviously the conversation that's really been in the news right now is COVID is um, COVID misinformation. But I guess my question is, I have listened to a lot of Joe Rogan's show. I know that the transphobia is, is so alarming. Like the amount of lies about trans people that, that him and his guests traffic in is pretty appalling. Uh, the um, climate denialism, you know, he, he did apologize for this, but when he said that uh, leftists were the ones setting wildfires out in the West, like, right? Like things like this, I guess my question is, why do you think that it's the COVID misinformation specifically that really sticks when we talk about this issue, but the lies that he tells about trans people, the lies that he tells about climate don't seem to stick quite as much? Because in my perspective, those those things are also medical misinformation and public health misinformation. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of systemic inequality behind it. I think it's I'm happy to see that we are having this public conversation about his medical misinformation on the platform, um, but it is fundamentally really limited to COVID, and it does seem like people are more motivated by the pandemic than necessarily race, racial issues or trans issues. Um, and I think that speaks to the, what the public fundamentally cares about. And I hate that. We are up against so much when it comes to inequality that we really have to, sh when, when it comes to an issue that pertains to marginalized people, we really have to shout for people to hear us. We really have to scream for people to hear us. And I think that COVID, 
you know, I think it's easier for some folks to to, to see a de- demonstrable untruth about COVID, like, oh, young people shouldn't get vaccinated and say, oh, that's a problem. But not, but see the way that Joe Rogan will tell a demonstrable untruth about trans people. Like he has said that trans people do not experience real discrimination. They bring it on themselves. That's demonstrably untrue. I think that there's something that makes it easier for folks to respond when it's about COVID. And it's just easier for it to go unchecked, unacknowledged, or for maybe people to say like, oh, that's just his opinion or, you know, I, I think that it, it's it shows how much further we have to go in terms of helping people understand that misinformation is often identity based. It's often racialized and gendered in this way. And it's it's really, really harmful, like real world harm, the same way that COVID health misinformation is. Yeah. And I mean, and we think about how a lot of this criticism started was with like doctors and scientists and science educators who already had existing platforms and are already, you know, exist within this realm of privilege and having their voices elevated, which is great. I'm happy to have doctors and scientists' voices elevated, but I do think it it speaks to just how their voices are treated as, you know, more worthy of attention than mm. necessarily uh, large groups of marginalized people who have been speaking out against Joe Rogan for ages now. Oh, that's such a good point. Let's take a quick break. And we're back. Feminists, Black women, queer folks, trans folks, they have been saying for the longest time, and also me personally as a podcaster, (laughs) (laughs) I've been saying like this Joe Rogan's like, his shtick is harmful. And I feel like people didn't listen and it's tale as old as time. Like folks don't listen until it's kind of everyone's problem. That is something that we talk about extensively on this show. Um, but I also think there's this idea that I think that Joe Rogan really perpetuates that he's just asking questions or, you know, he says like, oh, I'm not a doctor. Don't take my advice. Or, you know, my guest says this and I, I don't know enough to push back. And as someone who makes a podcast, I know that that's not true, right? Like, I'm not an expert on a lot of things, but I decide who comes on my show. I decide, you know, who to platform. And it's just, it's just this kind of feigning of ignorance that I feel is so powerful, but so frustrating. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I go back and forth on whether it's feigned or whether he just really <laughs> is like that much of just an idiot who's just fallen upwards and upwards and upwards into having podcasts where for some reason people listen to him talk for three hours and it's like I can't really tell um because it's such a perfect excuse to be like well I didn't know you know how was I gonna know that when I had this guest on that I booked and supposedly should have researched what kinds of things they were going to say before platforming them and, you know, maybe listen to the edit of my podcast before I posted it. Uh, all of those very basic things that I do for my TikToks, I would expect him to do for his world's largest podcast. But apparently it hasn't occurred to him that he has any 
any responsibility. Yes. Oh, you just put that so wonderfully. I think that's one of the reasons. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm just crapping on another podcaster, but it's it's something it's very frustrating to watch. And I know that so many people who make content, whether it's TikToks like you or podcasts like me, they put so much effort and craft and care into it. And so hearing like, well, I don't even listen to them. I don't even prepare. I don't know what I'm going to say before until I say it. It's like, wow, hmm. We really are having different experiences when it comes to creating our content. <laughs> Something fundamentally different is happening here. <laughs> and Absolutely. I think part of the reason why I almost buy his act of just like really being that ignorant is I think that like he is somebody who just would never have ever been affected by the sorts of misinformation and hatred that he allows on his platform. And therefore he doesn't have any understanding of why he needs to have responsibility. Like I could, I could maybe understand if he like really smokes as much weed as he does seem to <laughs> like how he could end up in that position of just like, I don't know. I just like, listen, I just listen to other people talk and post it. But like you have a responsibility. And if you don't, if you refuse to take that responsibility seriously, then like, why do you deserve to have the platform that you do? That's such a good question. And and platforms, they it they do come, like, even if you have a small platform, it comes with, with responsibility. And I think that's something I've been so frustrated about in this conversation. Um, I was doing like a news interview about Joe Rogan and Spotify, and it was a little bit of an adversarial, like the interviewer definitely was more Team Rogan than I was. And he kept asking like, isn't this censorship? Like, isn't this cancel culture? And I kind of couldn't get my head around how we got to a place where asking for someone that has a massive platform that is listened to by millions of people that has paid hundreds, $100 million to make, to make something, asking for really basic fact-checking or basic, you know, editorial standards is equated to um, censorship. Like, I don't know if you read... Roxanne Gay's amazing piece in the New York Times today about why she's pulling her podcast from Spotify. She said, there's a difference between censorship and curation. When we are not free to express ourselves, we can be thrown in jail or even lose our lives for speaking, for speaking freely. That is censorship. When we say as a society that bigotry and misinformation are unacceptable, that people who espouse these ideas don't deserve access to significant platforms, that's curation. We are expressing our taste and moral discernment and saying what we find acceptable and what we do not. And I feel like we've kind of lost the thread in a way that really benefits people who spread misinformation that the second that you're like, wait, well, we should des- we, ex- we should expect better than lies and bigotry and extremism. Immediately, there's going to be a choir of people who are like, that's censorship, that's cancel culture, that's bad. Yeah, I am so glad that you read that quote, because if you didn't, I would have. It was such a good piece, and I really highly recommend that everybody go read it. Um, it's it's really interesting that this has... It, it's really interesting, but not at all surprising that this has been turned into some effort to cancel Joe Rogan, when that was never really what anyone has asked for. Um, first of all, define cancel I can't um but like we at like we were asking for misinformation policies and for those to be implemented and transparent on the platform um and like yes 
Joe Rogan's podcast should also follow those policies. I don't think anybody is saying like he should not be allowed to ever speak again. He should be thrown in prison. Like nobody's saying that. Like I don't think anyone even has a problem with his stupid getting high and having comedy podcasts. Like if that's no, what you I'm very to pro do. getting high. Yeah, I'm also pro getting high. Like if you want to get high and talk to your dudes about wrestling, Joe, go ahead. Like I just don't need you high speculating about the vaccines being gene therapy. Like just just I'm not saying don't have a career doing this. It seems like for some reason some people find you very entertaining. So, go ahead. It's it's just the the lies and the hatred that I feel like we could avoid. I think Roxanne Gay's piece put it really well that people people who are trafficking in lies and hatred, I don't love it, but okay. I think those, those people are always going to be there. They shouldn't be the loudest voices in the room. They shouldn't be the most well-paid voices in the room. They shouldn't be the most amplified voices in the room. And that when they are, I feel like that's when we really have a problem because it just takes up so much oxygen from the room. Like, we don't really have the space to have the substantive, thoughtful conversations that we could be having when the person with the loudest megaphone is just screaming nonsense. Yeah. And, and like, you're never going to be able to make every shitty opinion go away. Um, but that those shitty opinions don't necessarily, like, deserve giant platforms and to have access to like every ear in the country uh especially like for people who are vulnerable to those sorts like sorts of bigotry and misinformation if you are somebody who's vulnerable to that and then you listen to joe rogan because maybe you really look up to him like and then you're fed lies and racism and transphobia like he's he, that that's predatory More after a quick break. Let's get right back into it. We can't deny that he, people like him. He's very popular. He has a huge audience. And I think part of the reason why that is, is sort of the same old story when it comes to misinformation. I think that bad actors and people who traffic in misinformation, they find groups of people who feel, who, who are or feel overlooked or or um, underserved. And so whether it's a Spanish-speaking population that doesn't have enough Spanish-speaking news outlets and so bad actors know like, oh, we will give you lots of news. It'll just be lies. I think that Joe Rogan maybe really taps into a group of younger males who do feel legitimately unseen and unlistened to and like no one is speaking to them. And so I think that he has been able to shine a spotlight on these folks and make them feel seen and heard and validated in ways maybe other media sources like legitimately maybe are not. And so I wonder like like what do you think about that? Like why do you think he has such a big listenership? Why do you think he's so popular? And what does it say about our media climate? I definitely agree that he must be serving some like he's serving and meeting some emotional and, and psychological need for this largely male audience who listen to him. Um, I think that from 
when I've listened to his podcast, there does seem to be this kind this focus on masculinity, either implicitly implicitly or explicitly masculinity is often uh highlighted there's a lot of gender anxiety i think that when cis men are confronted with the reality that gender isn't as binary as they were told it was that there can be a lot of backlash and that they will just kind of try and root even deeper into the gender binary and tra- quote traditional masculinity. So I see that a lot in his podcast. And I do think like he's meeting that need, right? Like he's just a, he's just like your funny older brother who's like getting high and having chats with other funny guys. Um, so he's got to be meeting their needs in that way. We did an interview with Ifoma Uzoma, who used to work for Pinterest and was a instrumental person in terms of getting Pinterest to ban medical misinformation. Something that she told me that really stuck with me is that nine times out of 10, people who were pushing medical misinformation on Pinterest were selling something, whether it was a supplement or something, some sort of like alternative something, and they were like making money. And so I know that Joe Rogan owns a supplement company. I know that his supplement company advertises on the podcast. When you go to the Joe Rogan Reddit, people are asking a lot about it. I feel like it is obviously in his best interest to have a generation of young men feel intense anxiety about what it means to be a man, masculinity, and then also sell supplements that purport to make you more virile, make you more masculine, make you more of a man, whatever that means. I think it's a very clear rela- it's a very clear relationship to me why someone would be interested in having their listenership feel anxious about the sort of gender issues you were just speaking to. And it always bums me out because I always just wonder, what if that same generation of young men were had access to a platform that was as popular, as accessible, as I guess engaging as they find Joe Rogan, but instead of leaning into lies and anxieties around gender, they were being given thoughtful, substantive, interesting you know, opinions and takes about gender that did, that did, were not also trafficking in lies and extremism. What if that was what they were being fed with? Would they feel the need to buy, the, to buy supplements? Would they feel the, like, would they feel as anxious? Would that, would that nourish them more, right? Like, I, I guess when I think about disinformation, I think about the, the, the massive sort of missed opportunity to really nourish people with good content and good media, because I, I truly believe that everybody deserves good media. Everybody deserves the truth. Everybody deserves accuracy. And it makes me sad that so many people, they choose something else. Yeah. Not only are they, I mean, they don't choose it. Like they, not only are they choosing it, but it's being really promoted to them and fed to them as, you know, this is the most popular, so it must be good. And I think so much disinformation, I mean, as you said, like they're, they're selling something. And a, a big tactic of encouraging people to buy something is to make them feel as though they are, they need it, right? Like they are wanting, they are lacking something. And one way to do that is make them feel anxious, right? They're lacking masculinity. Uh, they don't have enough vitamin whatever <laughs> they're, they're selling on that particular episode. Um, and they, 
we see it with like Fox News, right? Like they prey on vulnerable populations, highlight these deep anxieties that they have, and then feed them disinformation just to like increase those anxieties. It doesn't help for our polarization problem at all either. Like it's an absolute mess, but people profit off of it. Yeah, I think that's something that really gets to me that it 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 absolutely adds to polarization. And we have so many big issues facing us as people, as a society. And if we're all being fed extremism and lies and pol- and like more and more polarized and people are profiting off of that, we're never going to be able to come together with like a substantive conversation about these issues. We're always going to remain polarized. And I, you know, I believe that we are better when we are coming to the table with accurate information to have to base our conversations on. And it makes like there are people out there that are profiting on us not doing that. Absolutely. Well, because the whole idea is to uphold the status quo and they're profiting off of people being unhappy in the status quo or, you know, not understanding why they don't have the wealth that they were promised they one day would or the power or happiness that they were promised that they one day would. Um, And none of this media empowers anybody in their lives. Like fundamentally, it's there to increase anxiety and to keep them powerless in, in the face of tremendous inequality. Like this is not helping to unite the lower class? What? <laughs> yeah, I love how you put that. It is not, it's media that is not empowering. And yeah, I feel like everybody deserves to see themselves reflected in media. Everybody deserves to feel empowered by media. And I, I, yeah, I guess I just, that's like a fundamental belief. And I hate, like, I, it even pains me to be having this conversation about Joe Rogan because I know there are men that make better content that will never get a tenth of the attention that somebody like Joe Rogan would get, would never get a tenth of the funding like somebody like Joe Rogan would get. And yeah, they just continue to take up the resources and the oxygen in the room. I literally hate, like, I am really happy that this conversation is being had and that we are finally kind of like holding Spotify accountable. But at the same time, it's drowning out other conversations. I mean, even on Spotify, they were talking about how internally employees are unhappy because they weren't able to like actually promote Black History Month podcasts that they had planned. So in a lot of ways, even in his scandals and criticism, Joe Rogan is drowning out other voices. And that is also very frustrating. It's so frustrating. So Abby, how do you, how do you see this? Like, where do you think we go from here? I'm constantly trying to make the point that this is not about any one creator or just about Spotify. These issues are really systemic and institutional and they go so deep. Like, like, how, like where do you see this going from here? We're, ha- we're at this moment where we're having this like national conversation about lies for profit and misinformation. Um, where do you see it going or where do you hope it goes? Yeah, those are two different questions. Um, (laughs) I really, really hope that this can somehow be a lesson to platforms that they should not be sponsoring people who spread lies and hatred. Like, fundamentally, that seems like a pretty simple takeaway message is like, just don't financially reward them. Don't facilitate their own growth by 
literally giving them millions and millions of dollars to be controversial and cause, you know, uproar from libs. Like, that's not helpful. And (laughs) I really hope that, you know, this dissuades companies from directly sponsoring it at a bare minimum. And then going forward, I'd like to see platforms also, you know, because platforms also profit off of this. Like YouTube still profits off of Joe Rogan's videos. Um, And I'd like to see platforms also doing more to, you know, limit their reach and limit their ability to grow an entire platform and make millions of dollars by using this, like, old and (laughs) timeless formula. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that we'll never change until we make trafficking in lies unprofitable, trafficking in extremism unprofitable. Like, and I'm not even someone with, like, I I don't, you said earlier that there's always going to be people who have shitty opinions. I agree, but we don't have to give them microphones and a million dollar check to have those opinions. No. Absolutely not. I think that that's really, that's much more succinct than what I said. Yeah, trafficking in lies should not be profitable. Like, (laughs) I don't know why this is somehow a radical take. Yeah, like how bad, like, we're pretty down bad when it's like, oh, that like, trafficking in lies shouldn't be unprofitable. You cancel culture, (laughs) censor, censoring. Yeah, it's bad. I am just a radical lib because I don't think you should get to make money for being racist. (laughs) Okay, I have one more question for you. I know that you are a prolific TikToker. Have you seen this trend where women use the TikTok face filter to add a beard onto their face and then they pretend to be male podcasters? Yes, I love it. You are a man of high value. It's so funny. <laughs> I love it. I feel like it cuts across race. Like we, I mean, I think that honestly, part of the conversation is I think that a lot of a lot of us are just like sick of men, like sick of men's voices on podcasts. Like, you know, it's I think the tide is turning. Yeah, I was really relieved to see that because I, I I'm just happy to see some criticism of the way that men hold space in podcasts, uh, even, if, like, even if it's in the form of satire, I think that's still super valid criticism because it's just so obnoxious. <laughs> Ooh, girl, that, this, that will be a whole, we'll have to do a part two because that would be a whole other topic. <laughs> I, could, I, could, I could talk for hours. I could talk for hours. I will just say, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Stop letting men have podcasts. Stop having letting men have podcast challenge 2022. <laughs> Just we're asking for one year of no male podcast. That's it. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> Abby, thank you so much as always for helping to shed light on these issues. Where can folks keep up with your amazing work? Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. And they can, as always, find me on TikTok at Topology or on Twitter at Abby ASR or Instagram at Abby ASR. I really need to get all the same username, but we're just, it's on my to-do list, I promise. Got a story about an interesting thing in tech or just want to say hi? You can reach us at hello at tangodi.com. 
You can also find transcripts for today's episode at tangodi.com. There Are No Girls on the Internet was created by me, Bridget Todd. It's a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. Jonathan Strickland is our executive producer. Tari Harrison is our producer and sound engineer. Michael Amato is our contributing producer. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. If you want to help us grow, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.